Hello, welcome to Sisters by Design podcast. Today I have Jennifer with me, who is my special guest, and we're going to be just discussing her journey from life as she knew it through incarceration and her release and her struggles. So we invite you to come on this journey with us. So Jennifer, I appreciate you being on the show with me. Thank you for having me. No problem. So tell our listeners a little bit about your journey. How did things start? What was your life like before anything happened? Well, I grew up in a broken family. Um, by broken, I mean it was um, my mom and my stepdad and my three younger sisters and then my dad and his wife and her daughter and then I had a half-sister by them. So I never really felt like I belonged anywhere. I'm the only child by both my mom and dad. And um, when I think back, I've realized that I've always always trying to find attention. I was seeking attention from men. Um, And I chose people to be my friends based on the way they looked. So I was very shallow. Um, I wanted to be part of the wrong crowd. And a lot of people that I was um, incarcerated with grew up in that life. You know, they they made those choices for survival, but I chose that life. Um, so life for me, I was never around crime when I was younger. I was never around drugs. My father is a recovering addict, but he's been in recovery for 30 years. So I don't remember any of that. Um, my poor choices started just by being around guys. I wanted the attention and then, um, you know, that led me to the wrong crowds and over the years, um, my choices just got poorer and poorer. Um, I was using drugs, um, to have fun, but I've come to realize that using drugs was a symptom of my problem. And that's very interesting that you realized that it was a symptom of the problem eventually, that you were trying to, I guess, mask the pain that you felt Yes, from um, what you went through. Yes, I was um, molested as a nine-year-old from somewhat of a babysitter. She was an older friend that lived down the road from me. And when I told my mom about it several years later, she did what a lot of parents do and she said I was lying and she put her blinders on and didn't want to talk about it and so that's when a lot of my problems started um, mm-hmm. I was in middle school and my so-called friends had you know um, went and spread rumors about me because of that and um, I guess I was felt like I was trying to fit in after that so um, I would drink and Um, I didn't really start using drugs until I was about 20. Um, by that time I was stripping. So, um, it was a very dark time of my life and it just continued. Um, I started using meth pretty regularly when I was 23 and, um, I used it every day until I got locked up when I was 34. Um, my, I met the father of my daughter 
in uh, 2004, and <clears throat> I never really loved him. Um, we were together because of the drugs, um, and it was an abusive, combative relationship. Um, and when he, he was so controlling, um, and so he died in 2012. Uh, the girl he was cheating on me with was also with him and they were in a motorcycle accident. And I was relieved that he, um, as I said, I was relieved that he was dead. Um, the first, I was humiliated that he had died with her. We had spent 18 months fighting over that girl and he, I would try to leave and he would you know, swear the world to me that they were done. And then it was a very high profile um, death. It was all over the news for weeks. <clears throat> and um, I spun out of control. I stayed high. Uh, my daughter essentially lost her mother and her father the same day because she was two and a half and I had been with her every day up until that. Um, all day we spent together. I had graduated from college with my associates for medical assisting a month after she was born, but every job I had, he would get me fired from. So, wow. so I essentially ended up being a stay-at-home mom. And so when he died, I just, I kind of went crazy. Um, I was gone all the time. My sister, bless her heart, moved in with me. So she was there with my daughter and I was home, but I was more like him. I was running the roads and doing whatever and acting like I had no responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And one thing led to another and about six months later, um, I was um, into using meth very heavily and selling large quantities of meth. That was 2013. By um, May of 2014, the um, county had kicked my door in. They didn't find anything, but in November of 2013, they came back. Um, they didn't find anything substantial, but in January, my daughter was taken by social services oh, wow. and, um, I just made poor choices and had to go to court for possession and left her with someone I considered a friend and went to court and while I was gone she was raided now mind you when I left there was nothing going on it was just my daughter and the girl and her sister and my daughter was watching tv cartoons and so um I wasn't able to get her back um I was too they wouldn't let me have her because of my pending charges and I couldn't pass a drug test and mm -hmm. as much as I I'm intelligent but it was, meth had such a hold of me that I'm like, no, no, I, you know, I'm doing what I need to do to get her back. But I wasn't, I wasn't passing a drug test. So she was in a real life foster home for three months. And then I finally asked for her to, them to place her with her dad's family. And that was in um, April of 2015. And four months later, uh, I was indicted. I wasn't aware of it. It was the day before she started kindergarten and I had stopped at the gas station and I was on my way to meet her in therapy and 
Homeland Security surrounded my car. Wow. And they took me and I didn't, I hadn't seen her for four days that day. So August the 20th, and I didn't get to see her again until December 14th of 2019. And I'm, and I know how hard that had to have been for you, especially. Especially when um, you have these already feelings of, okay, I'm not doing the right thing. And I'm really, really, really trying hard to get her back. So once you were sent to prison, was it right away after that day? No, yeah. Um, they... The judge wouldn't let me out on pretrial. Um, I think that if I had cooperated with them and given them information, they would have made pretrial happen. But hindsight, I think it's better that it didn't because my time would have stopped and I would still be there now. So, because you don't get credit for your pretrial. But um, yeah, he said, you're a menace to society and a danger to the community and I won't, I won't let you out. Wow. So, um, so that was hard having to call her. I had to call her obviously from jail um and after about the third week she had kept asking mommy where are you at why haven't i seen you and i didn't want someone else to tell her where i was so i just had to say you know mommy's in jail she was only five so she didn't you know she has she had no idea what jail was mm-hmm. um but i've always been honest with her about where i was um told her i was in jail that I wasn't doing the right thing and it was about drugs because once again I knew that someone was going to tell her that it was because of drugs so I um I try to edit my answers to her for the appropriate age she is at the at the time so um well that makes sense because it's a child but at least I find it honorable that you said I'm not going to wait for somebody else to say. Absolutely. I mean, I felt like I'd already betrayed her trust enough because she wasn't living with me and she wanted to come back. And she was four when she went to live in that foster home, you know, and it broke my heart when she says, please don't send me back to Miss Tina's mom. I'll promise I'll do whatever. I won't be bad anymore. And I'm like, it's not because you're bad, which is essentially why I called and just asked them to place her with her dad's family. Um, So I felt like she deserved the truth and I didn't want her to hear it from someone else because I do want her to be able to trust me. So, okay. So while you were in prison, Mm -hmm. even though I know there's a lot of different things that happened that everybody is not aware of, Mm -hmm. but what would you say is something that you learned while you were locked up? What invaluable lesson? Um... Probably the most important is to take responsibility. Um, I'm not a victim. You know, I was handed a, a good life. I chose the, you know, the wrong path to go down. And I was, you know, dealt some bad cards, but those were all my choices. Um, you know, and I learned that the hardest thing is not always the easiest thing to do. Um, And nobody deserves me, I'm sorry, I don't deserve anything. No one owes me anything. So those are some pretty important things. Um, And of course, 
I've always known that I was strong and just that I can make it through it, you know, I can make yeah. it through it. Um, I wasn't, four months after I got arrested, um, the court had taken away communication with Braylon and I, so I couldn't talk to her anymore. I continued to write her letters, but that was really hard. Um, that was a night I'll never forget when I tried to call and talk to her and they wouldn't let me talk to her. And that's when I found out they were, um, adoption was the next step. And that's when I really, truly prayed for the first time in my life. And um, trust the process. That's probably the most important thing that I've learned. Um, okay. So you said that was the first time you ever prayed. Honestly, yeah, I didn't, honestly, I didn't feel like there was a God. Um, if there was a God, why did all this stuff bad things keep happening to me. Mm -hmm. um, why did this bad stuff happen to my daughter? You know, um, I wasn't raised in church, so I had the view of God that most people that aren't raised in church have, mm -hmm. and that that's everything is supposed to go right, and if you believe and you pray, you're gonna get what you ask for, and mm -hmm. so on and so forth. And so, um, I had a hard time believing, but it was the first time I prayed. Um, I just surrendered. Um, it was a very emotional night, but, um, I had a dream the next night and it was my own voice telling me that I wasn't going to lose her. Wow. Um, it was, I mean, I can still hear it clear as day. Um, and I needed hope at that point. All I had, all I had was hope. For anything you know so um, I was I'd signed a plea for 10 to life and they were like you know we're gonna take your daughter and I understand she needs permanency but I'm like she's mine mm -hmm. you know so um, I was served with a motion to terminate my parental rights in July I had been locked up for eight months at this point. No, I'm sorry, 10, 11 months at this point. And I contacted my attorney, my custody attorney, and he said that there's nothing you can do. You just need to sign your rights over. And I sat there and I said, I'm, I'm sorry, but you, you don't know who I am and that's not gonna happen. I had that hope that God had instilled in me. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't just going to lie down and take it. So that became my driving force to prove him wrong, to prove mm -hmm. everybody wrong that no, I'm going to get, I'm going to make this right. I'm going to fix it. And um, <clears throat> on January the 29th, 2016, I had a court hearing over the phone, and the same judge that took her away from me said. I'm not going to terminate your rights. Wow. He said, um, and I commend you for all the hard work you're doing. And when you get out, I'm leaving it in my jurisdiction so you can make changes. I have more time with her now through the courts than I did before I went away. Um, wow. That's awesome. So that, you know, um, and I, the next week I got to talk to her for the first time in 17 months. So that was nice. Um, 
so that's he that lawyer is the reason why I want to be a social worker which is which is one of the things I was going to ask you what your goals were so besides being a social worker um and because of his influence mm -hmm. and the way that God turned things around mm -hmm. for you you would be honestly a great person to do it because you've been through it you know what other women go through mm -hmm. so this will be my last question okay. what struggles or barriers right now would you say that you have as far as um, and you might not have that many like as far as I mean you have temporary housing but you have you know like as far as a job what are the barriers you have well the barriers that I have I mean I do have a job um, it's not using my skills I mean it's just in a restaurant so but it is employment um, and I'm lucky in that aspect but my skills are in an office mm -hmm. and it's been so long since I've used those and when people look at my resume you know they're like well what what is Alderson well it's a prison you know mm -hmm. um, so that's automatically a notch against me um, and I do have it on my resume because I was gone for so many years that I need to have accountability for that time that I was gone um, so that said <clears throat> I think that that's something that's against me uh, you know I don't my crime is not white collar so I don't think I'm gonna have a problem with it with getting a house mm -hmm. but I'm working on repairing my credit so I can just buy something anyway okay um, but mainly you know employment because society looks at felons, ex-offenders as uh, like some crazy species, you know? Right. And most of us are normal people who just made bad choices or were caught making bad choices, you know? Um, and everybody deserves a second chance, not just criminals. So that's that's my input on that one okay well thank you so much for your time thank you. I really appreciate your transparency and the fact that you're willing to share your story to help another woman who's been out there who's been through that struggle who might not think that there's any hope but you already showed you know and you're still striving it's not the end of the story you know, we'll have to do another episode after you get your daughter back. Yeah, and, absolutely. And after things have done. But I appreciate it because these are the kind of things because we're all sisters. Absolutely. We may we're from the same guy. We may look differently, but we all go through our struggles. So I appreciate you. I hope that things turn around so much faster than you'll ever expect in your life. Thank you. So, listeners, just be prepared to be blown away by each and every episode that is posted on Sisters by Design. Join us on Anchor. Make sure that you click on subscribe to Anchor and listen to a lot more that Sisters by Design has to offer.